you so much. Turn your Bibles, please, to Judges chapter 8. Judges chapter 8. I want to thank you again for being here tonight. I hope you don't think that you're ever here and it's taken for granted, because it's not. I'm, I'm super grateful if we have five or 50. I'm grateful for those who are here, and I uh, know that the Lord can only work in your heart through church if you're here, and so I'm, I'm grateful for that, and I'm so uh, grateful for you being here. Now we're going to start a new tradition tonight. For Wednesday nights from now on, I'm uh, going to start doing something that uh, maybe help, you, may help us to put some things into action. Tonight we heard about praise, and it won't always go with his. I just happen to be thinking in sync here. But uh, I want to give homework on Wednesday night. Who loves homework? Amen? What a blessing. That's great. Uh, none of you raised your hand but one crazy person, but uh, we're going to give it anyway. Um, sometime this week, Write a thank you card or give a thank you phone call uh, to someone uh, giving thanks for something they did. Do that sometime this week. Uh, it doesn't have to be your typical who you might think somebody has to do anything big. Just uh, do it small. Do you know what it would mean if you went to a restaurant, you get the name of the person that served you, and then send a thank you card later with a gospel track to that restaurant with her name? I mean, things like that. Just find somebody to be grateful for and to make an impact. And uh, if it's somebody that's not a Christian, include a gospel tract in it, and that'll make a, make a difference. So here's your homework. Sometime this week, write a thank you card or make a call telling somebody you appreciate them. And uh, we uh, absolutely, it was a good challenge tonight. We need to be praise the Lord, but we also need to be grateful for people, as we're going to see in tonight's message. Judges chapter 8, uh, the war with the Midianites is over. Gideon has won a full victory with God's help. Uh, it was God's miracle that he won the battle. Israel is now free from the oppression which they experienced for seven long years. Gideon, weeks, just weeks earlier, was a nobody. I mean a nobody. In fact, he himself said, I am the least in my father's house. He was the runt kid of a runt family, of a runt nation, uh, of a runt uh, part of the nation. He was, a, he was just a nobody. And yet the angel of the Lord said that you're a mighty man of valor, chapter 6, verse 12. I praise God that he can take a nobody and turn him into a mighty man of valor. He can do that to you as well. With this in mind, after this battle is over, the people make a request of Gideon, and Gideon makes a request of them. Tonight we're going to look at the request they made of Gideon. Break that down, starting at verse number 22, Judges chapter 8. The Bible says, And the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of the Midian. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Father, I pray tonight you'd help us with the first request here as we look at uh, and uh, see, see what uh, is involved in it, some things we can learn from it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. They want him to have dominion over them. They want him to rule over them. Now, he wants them, as we haven't read it yet, we will next week, but he wants them to make a donation to him. And these two requests both are fraught with problems. There are issues with them. And it would have been better if neither of these requests would have been made, uh, because, which we'll kind of break down and see why. But they were not a, they were not a good aftermath of the war with Midian, they, re they revealed that Israel still had some serious spiritual problems, and they laid groundwork for Israel to have problems and Gideon to have problems in the future. Now, what these requests tell us, it tell us is that Israel needed more than a victory over Midian to solve 
their spiritual problems. Now, remember why Midian was a problem in the first place? Uh, if you go back, if you were here when we started this series, you found, you remember we talked about the fact that they asked God for a deliverer and God sent them a preacher. <laughs> that would have been a disappointment. And uh, they didn't need to be delivered from Midian. They needed to be delivered from their own sin and selfishness and idolatry. And so they needed a victory here over the flesh, not just a victory over Midian. Now, few people and uh, then and few people now ever see that vital need that the biggest need I have is a victory over the flesh, not a victory over my problems. We all want victory over our problems, what's bothering us, but we don't so quickly want victory over our flesh. Give us a victory over Midian, and we are going to think our problems are solved. But, in fact, the root of their problems were not adequately addressed at all. Let's look at the dominion request. Verse 22, The men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, us, both thou and thy son, thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. This was quite a request. The men of Israel were requesting Gideon to be their king. But it did not stop there. They were not only asking uh, Gideon to set up a kingdom, but to set up a dynasty. The first it would be him and his son, and then his son's son. Uh, and so that's what they, they were asking a big thing here. There was recognition in this request. Gideon was asked to be king because they said, Thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. This was both a deserving recognition, but it was also a deficient recognition. Let's look at both of them. It was a deserving recognition because they were giving Gideon some of his due credit. I mean, he, was, he had done good work for the Lord. There is a place in giving honor to whom honor is due. Romans chapter 13 verse 7 talks about that. Uh, the Bible instructs us to honor certain people all throughout its pages. We are to honor our father and our mother, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. We're to honor our elders, uh, Leviticus 19.32, like Brother Wes, our elders. We are supposed to honor uh, people like that, amen? Okay, he made fun of me earlier for being an older man, so I just picked back on him now. We are to honor, uh, servants are to honor their masters, the Bible says, in Leviticus 19, uh, I'm sorry, in 1 Timothy 6.1. Now, We've said this before, but in today's vernacular, servants and masters in the New Testament are employees and employers. So employees ought to honor their employers. We are to honor those who preach the word. In fact, they're to be counted worthy of double honor, 1 Timothy 5.17. So Gideon, who had served the Lord with excellence, should have been honored. It's correct that they honor him. It speaks well of the people that they gave him some recognition. Now, we've seen already in the last three weeks that there were some Israelites who did not give him this recognition. The Ephraimites, remember that? They criticized him and they were uh, very rude to him. And then last week we saw the leaders of Succoth and Penuel uh, had insulted him and uh, not given him any due honor. But Gideon is now receiving some of this recognition and that's a good thing to an extent. One of our problems in our day is that we often honor the wrong people for the wrong things. Caleb, if you can turn me down just a tad, I'm hearing myself coming back at myself. I'm sorry you guys have to hear that. All right. One of the problems in our day is that we often honor the wrong people for the wrong things. We honor actors, ball players, uh, celebrities that have little or no character. And uh, we make a big deal out of them. 
Thomas Carlyle said, show me the man you will honor, and I will tell you what kind of man you are. Hey, that's pretty strong there, isn't it? Who do you honor? Hey, who are your kids' heroes? Make your kids have the proper heroes. Put that in front of them. And uh, honor the right people in your home. When the Israelites, uh, what they said to Gideon needs to be said, by the way, by every Christian to the Lord Jesus Christ, rule thou over us, for thou hast delivered us. That'd be a good thing for us to say to Jesus, wouldn't it? Christ redeemed us from our sins. He has saved us from eternal condemnation. He ought to be our ruler. He should have chief dominion over us. We owe that to him. Now, asking him to rule over us, unlike the request for Gideon, is not full of problems for us spiritually. We'll see that in a minute. Uh, in fact, it's one of the best situations we can have if we tell the Lord Jesus Christ, rule thou over us, for thou hast delivered us. All right. It was a deficient recognition. We'll look at why. In the honoring of Gideon, did you notice what they left out? They totally left God out of the picture. For thou hast delivered us. You, Gideon, with your 300, defeated those 135,000. Good job, Gideon. Uh, could Gideon beat 135,000? You, Gideon, yourself, with your 300? No, of course not. They totally left God out of it. Um, it was proper for them to honor Gideon, but they should have honored God first and foremost. He was the main reason that Israel won against Midian, obviously. He had worked tremendous miracles to bring them the victory. But these men of Israel said not a word here about God's work in the deliverance. The men of Israel made no mention about submitting to God. They just made mention of submitting to Gideon. Uh, Yet this was their greatest need, submitting to God. In fact, that's the problem that brought Midian as as an oppressor in the first place. They refused to let God rule in their hearts. They worshipped idols. They didn't let God rule their lives. And now they're still not focusing on the will of God at all. These men are so dazzled by the splendor of human achievement that they totally ignored God's work in it. Now, Gideon's campaign against Midian was specifically designed by God so that man would not get the credit, but that he would. Let me take you back in reminder to chapter 7, verse 2. If you want to turn back a page. And the Lord said unto chapter 7, verse 2, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. My, isn't God smart? And yet, even though he whittled their army down to 300, guess what the Israelites are still saying? Mine own hand. You did it, Gideon. They saw Gideon as a sole hero, forgot to glorify God. Men and women, I'm talking about humankind, We are so prone to honor anyone but God. We'll give anyone the credit but the Lord. W.F. Adney said, We are all too ready to recognize the human instrument only and ignore the divine power which is the source of all that is good and great. Now, it's true that mankind is too slow in giving recognition to godly men but we are much slower to give recognition to God himself. Not only recognizing God properly, but many times removing God completely and not giving him any recognition at all. The ACLU goes to court and vehemently insists that we in no way honor God, even in our own homes, in our own 
front yards at Christmas, we're not to honor the Lord. We had better learn that it is terrible and it is a tragic thing to oppose the honoring of God. We better give God the credit and give honor to whom honor is due. Let's not ever be guilty of that. Now look at the reason behind the request. Why did Israel want a king? That basically is what they're asking Gideon to do. Rule thou over us. We know why they chose Gideon for the position, because he delivered them from the hand of Midian, so they said. But why did they want a king in the first place? Now later, God, they're going to have to deal with this. Uh, Samuel will have to deal with this. In fact, the answer is found in 1 Samuel chapter, um, uh, chapter 8, if you take, don't have to turn there now, but you'll find that story where they again demanded Samuel that they wanted a king. And uh, they, this is what they said. We will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. That's funny. Who do you think the king's going to use to fight your battles? You! Don't fight your battles for you. Anyway, Israel wanted to be like other nations. That's what they said. That we also may be like other nations. Now, that's incredibly sad. They weren't like other nations. They were God's chosen nation. This rejected God when they said that. In fact, God said it himself in 1 Samuel 8, 7. He said, uh, they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. They were, if understand it, the kind of government that Israel had at that time is called a theocracy. That means that God was their sole commander. He ruled through judges who let God's will be known to Israel, and God was their main ruler. Their chief work, uh, basically the judges' chief work, was delivering Israel from their enemies, and God would do that. Now, a king, on the other hand, is extremely dictatorial. Dictatorial. There it is. Dictatorial. It's hard to say big words when you're in front of people, okay? I just want to make that clear. A king rules by decree. A judge simply exhorts and pleads with the people, as we saw throughout the judges. Uh, but the Israelites did not want the rule of judges, even though the rule of a judge will give far more liberty to the people than would a king. They wanted a king. There's glory. There's pomp. There's circumstance. Prestige in a king more than a judge. And that appealed to the flesh. And that's what they wanted. They wanted... Uh, the, 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 king, the king is a rallying point for people. People want to get behind their king, especially a good one. They don't realize how easy it is to get a bad one, as, as they found later. Uh, but, they, but God wanted to be the main ruler of Israel. God wanted people to rally around him. He was their protector. He wanted them to glory in him, to look to him for victory. But this was too spiritual for the people, too different. We're oddballs. We want to be like the rest of the world. It's not what the other nations did. They had kings. So they demanded a king as well. When self-will is favored over God's will, it is always at a great loss. Always. Psalm 106.15. The Bible says, And he gave them a request, but sent leanness unto their soul. I'm going to ask a friend tonight, how many times could that be said about you? You, you demand something for God or you beg something and finally God gives you your request but sends leanness to your soul. <laughs> Let's let his will be done. We ought to pray. James tells us this. We ought to pray. Uh, if it be your will, we'll do such and such. But the same is true for us. 
as was true for Israel. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Here it is, a peculiar people. I remember reading that when I was a teenager. I don't want to be peculiar. I don't want to be weird. That's what peculiar meant. But peculiar uh, does not mean weird. It means a preservation, a possession, one's own property. Listen, we're God's. We're special. We're the tremendous privilege of being God's children with an eternal home waiting for us in heaven. We are not like the world. We are set apart. A chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Royal priesthood meaning we, are, uh, we, have, we have basically been included in the, in the priesthood of the believer there, uh, being a believer. And we are a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How it must grieve the heart of God when we want to be like the world. We're not the world. We're not to want to be like the world. Remember Achan in the Old Testament? Jericho, they're, taking, they're fighting the battle of Jericho, and Achan saw a Babylonian garment, took the garment, some gold, some silver, hid it in the floor of his tent. Later they lost a battle. And uh, then, uh, then, then they found there'd be sin in the camp. God revealed it, and they stoned Achan and his family. But you remember what Achan went after, really? World's clothing, world's money? Not so different than many of Christians today. We want the things of the world. We desire what the world has. How sad. That must grieve God's heart that we want to be like the world because we're not the world. We're much better positioned than them. We have something to offer the world uh, because we can have what the world desperately wants and can never have without Christ. I'm talking about peace. I'm talking about fulfillment. I'm talking about real joy. Those things are available only to the child of God. By the way, this is why a church, specifically ours, but I think uh, it's important that a church not emulate the world either. There's a reason we do not copy the world's music. There's a reason we don't copy the world's programs and the world's agenda. We don't want to be as close as we can to the world, sprinkling a few Christian words in it to try to reach them. Why do we want to be like somebody who we want to, we want to rescue them from the world to, to Christianity, and then we try to be as much like the world as we can? doesn't make sense. All right? That we, we offer something different. All right? Christ uh, gives us forgiveness and freedom and, and uh, a, a better life, and so let's not try to emulate the life that he took us from. It grieves the heart of God. We're peculiar people. Let's be grateful for it. Why in the wide world would God's people want to identify with Satan's kingdom? One old preacher put it this way, God's sheep have no business playing around with the devil's billy goats. Amen? That's a good way to put it. We ought to embrace, embrace the uniqueness of our position as Christians. And when we are in the world, we should not fit in. We should be out of place when we're in the world. I'm not talking about being snooty or holier than thou. I'm just saying there ought to be something in our soul that just does not fit in with the world. We're in the world. We ought to be as out of place as a ham sandwich in a synagogue. Amen? Out of place when we're in the world. All right, look at the refusal of the request. The most noble thing about this request is Gideon's refusal of it. In fact, Gideon's refusal is viewed by many commentators as his best moment. I'm going to give you a few. A.F. Muir. His humility and loyalty to God as the only sovereign for Israel outshines all his exploits. 
William Burroughs, this refusal was Gideon at his best. W. Miller, his rejection of the throne was the climax of his moral and spiritual glory. I couldn't help but think of George Washington when I was putting this together. Remember George Washington? Well, you don't remember. Only Pastor Forsberg remembers. But you remember reading about George Washington. Uh, he, he was asked to be king in America. Did you know that? He said, no. We're not going to have a monarchy. And then, of course, they formed the government that we have today. But uh, he refused the kingship because he didn't want what England had. He wanted something better. Uh, but Gideon's refusal, we got to just examine it for a second to remember what this uh, temptation would have been for Gideon. Look at the character of the temptation. It was a popular temptation. Gideon's, Gideon was approached by the men of Israel. This would be the heads of Israel's tribes. Representatives came to Gideon to make this request. It was a request of the populace. It was the voice of the people. It was a popular movement in the land, you could say. Gideon's approval rating it was 90%, over 90%. It was up there. Uh, the family of uh, Succoth and Penuel probably weren't approving of Gideon because he had wiped them out, but uh, most people were for Gideon. It was a very popular movement. How strong is a temptation that lines up with what is popular with man? Rare is the man who can resist a temptation when all the people seem to be voicing a strong support for it. But I want to remind you, the voice of the people is not the voice of God. The voice of popularity is not always the voice of right. We need to determine what is right and wrong, uh, not molding our character by the dictates of public opinion. Oh, don't you wish more politicians knew that? <laughs> uh, the wish of the people is no excuse for doing wrong. But truth, the truth is that popularity makes temptation very strong. Most people are more concerned with what's popular than what's right. We see that today all over. People don't want to stand for what's unpopular. We want to stand for what's popular and be in the popularity crowd. And so we want to be very careful that we don't let that dictate our actions. So the temptation was popular. It was also rewarding. This temptation offered Gideon a whole lot. Offered him fame, power, wealth. Status And it offered not only that to him, it offered it for his whole family, down the line. This was a tremendous temptation. Uh, these things are typically extremely hard to turn down. Think about it, what Gideon was turning down here. Uh, they include everything that the flesh seeks out of life. I mean, think of all the things he had at his fingertips here. Money, promotion, security, power, status pleasure, luxuries, and a host of other things, all in this request. But there's a catch, and don't miss this. Although temptation always has its compensations, it also has its consequences. And those who yield to temptation will soon discover those consequences. They find that these consequences far outweigh the compensations. In fact, uh, the promised rewards are usually an illusion, like the soap bubbles. I always call it the soap bubbles of the world. Throw a, blow those soap, soap bubbles, and little kids, you know, they're all over about trying to catch the bubbles, and when they catch them, they're just gone. They're so pretty, the sun hits them, it's all color and shimmering, and until you grab it, and there's nothing there. That's how it is going after things of the world. Looks great. Oh, I want, I want, I want. Boop, it's gone. There's nothing to show for it. 
Moses figured this out. Hebrews eleven twenty four. By faith, Moses, when he's come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with God's people than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the treasures in Egypt, for he had uh, respect unto the recompense of the reward. Moses' choice was the same as our choice. Pleasure or pleasure? Did you notice that? That's the choice in that verse. Moses had the choice. He came to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That was one of his choices, the pleasures of sin for a season. The other choice he had was pleasure. Read on. In steaming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Here's the problem. We want immediate pleasure because that's what sin offers. Sin offers immediate pleasure. But the reproach, you might go through some reproach, might go through all these different things, but it says at the end there's a recompense of the reward. And so Moses is looking ahead. I can either have long-term reward, pleasure, or I can have short-term reward, pleasure. Which one do we want? That's a choice everyone in here is going to make as you live your life. You want pleasure of sin, short-term, with long-term consequences? Or you want the long-term rewards from God, also pleasure, but you've got to wait for it. See, excuse me, sin's like a, it's like a credit card. Man, credit cards are nice, aren't they? You just you get whatever you want, you swipe it, and it's a done deal. But the bill comes due, doesn't it? But it doesn't come due till much later. So you can do what you want today because you don't have to think about the bill. That's going to be, because after all, next month I'll be in great financial shape. It's this month I'm struggling. Next month will be awesome. So I'll just swipe away. That's how sin is. Enjoy what you want right now. Pay later. Don't worry about paying for it. Don't worry about paying. But that bill always comes due. Always comes due. Those consequences are going to come. So Moses' choice was the same as your choice. And my choice, pleasure or pleasure. It all depends on when you want the pleasure. If you want the pleasure immediately, choose sin. Long-term consequences, though. And Moses also recognized this season was very short season. We all understand that sin has its season, but we sometimes think it's a very long season. But you'll find sin has more of a season like summer in South Dakota. Very short, amen? Then thirdly, the temptation was plausible. Uh, it was a plausible request because Israel had a need that Gideon could meet. Those making the offer felt Israel needed a king. It sounded good on the surface. It would not be good to be without a ruler. The nation would be weak, vulnerable to the enemy. We must have a government. We must have a better government, they were probably saying. And Gideon is the man. However, they did not need a better government. They already had a theocracy, and God is the best ruler of all. Amen? Let us not try to replace him. But temptation always tries to make circumstances justify evil conduct. That's what temptations do. I understand normally this, but look at just circumstances you're in. And then it tries to justify wrong actions because of the circumstances. Now, of course, circumstances are going to guide some of our conduct. Wouldn't you say that there's some circumstances that have arisen in 2020 that have changed some of the patterns in how we live? Yeah, you can't avoid it. Circumstances will do that. But circumstances do not determine right and wrong. We cannot allow circumstances to determine that. 
our code of conduct must be higher than our circumstances. We have to keep God at the helm. But what Satan always does is minimizes what you have and maximizes what you don't have. He makes it real big what you don't have. Minimize, that's, why, that's why praise and gratefulness is so important. We need to be grateful for what we have. That offsets that temptation. Also, notice the temptation was timely. One of the most dangerous times for a temptation to strike is a time of success. R.A. Watson said, Precious few pause in a moment of high personal success to think of the morality involved. Anybody other than me ever made a bad decision in a moment of success? <laughs> Something you're on cloud nine and, uh, you know, when, somebody put it this way, when we reach the mountain peak of success, remember the air is thin. If not careful, we'll get heady. We'll get dizzy, and then comes the fall. We've probably all been there. Uh, two things that accompany success that can make us vulnerable to temptation, euphoria and pride. Euphoria has a tendency to lessen our caution. In, in our success, we become excited. We become so happy, we celebrate. And this was a time to celebrate. They were celebrating victory over Midian. Our spirits soar. We're excited. We are uh, on cloud nine again, we're on top of the world, but this does not usually promote caution. So temptation has an advantage because it always does when we are exercising a lack of caution. Give me, if, give me a perfect example. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? I won't give you the whole story, but Peter, James, and John went with Jesus up the mountain. They saw him in his full glory, and Peter got excited. Woo-hoo, he said, let, he saw, you know, the, the prophets come down. He says, let's build three temples, was it, I think, or three tabernacles here on the mountain. He was so excited, and in his euphoria, he made a really dumb suggestion, putting Jesus on the same plane as Moses and Elijah. And it, it, gained, it earned him a reproval from heaven. Big, booming voice of God gave him, a, a gave him an actual, uh, uh, actually, rebuke, if you could say. So, but it was euphoria speaking, and caution was thrown to the wind. Pride also is a part of success. Makes us an easy pushover for temptation. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. If you remember the story of King Uzziah, uh, he was made an easy target for temptation because he was filled with pride. And, and, and by the way, this was because of his success. So he had success. And he had pride, then he had temptation, 2 Chronicles 26, 15. He was marvelously helped till he was strong, talking about Uzziah. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Success, pride, destruction. Is there anything wrong with success? Not at all. I like success. I'm a supporter for success. Amen? We want success. But we cannot allow pride to come into the picture with success. We have to give God the glory for it. Success is not evil, but it makes us vulnerable. So, all right, we're going to stop there because next week we'll get into the conquering of the temptation. And uh, Gideon gives us a great example of how to refuse temptation. And I don't want to break that up, so we'll stop there this week. But I hope you can pick up a few things here. Uh, a lot of directions we went. Uh, the Lord is good. Let us be grateful to him. Let us never uh, cease to give him thanks for the victories in our life. Let us not 
we, we should not shy of giving honor to whom honor is due, but never give undue honor to a man when God was the uh, perpetrator of the victory. Amen? So let's uh, be grateful people in that area. Let us be careful uh, in times of success that we do not allow euphoria or pride to step in and be an arbiter of bad decisions. That uh, can happen to us.